Welcome back to the first episode of 2023 of Health Equity from the Frontlines, brought to you by the Ultimate Institute for Health Equity. This is our podcast series where we sit down with pre-health students, healthcare professionals, and leaders from the community to learn about their experiences and journeys advancing health equity. I'm your host, Dr. Roger Liu, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts and fellow colleagues from the Ultimate Institute for Health Equity, Dr. Marco Angulo, right here, and Tatiana Alvarez. Hi, everybody. Before we start, how was everybody? Back from the holidays? You know, what did everybody do? You know, for me, it was nothing crazy. I did have a chance to go up to the San Francisco Bay Area where I grew up and visited my family. I haven't seen them in actually probably over a year because of COVID and travel restrictions. So it's really nice to go up there. Experiencing the holidays in cold weather was, was pretty nice. But how about you? How about you, Marco? How was your holiday? You know, we always go to the desert to go visit my wife's family and, you know, time to relax, play Loteria, gift exchange. And then and we come back and we just kind of chill at home. During New Year's, we don't do anything. How's that? We watch the, the TV set and watch a good movie and, and that's about it. But uh, that's really chill. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank so, Tati, what did you do on this holiday? I got married, guys. What? Congratulations. Congratulations. I got married. Surprise. Yeah. Felicidades. Gracias. Congratulations. How was it? Where was it? It was amazing, intimate, just the family. Oh. Um, we went around LA, took great pictures. I'll definitely share with all of you guys, but excited and renewed for a new year here, tackling all the different projects we have. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, yeah. Hey, before we begin, Marco, I just wanted to mention, you know, we're recording this podcast on Friday, January 13th, and you know, we're all fortunate to have a three-day weekend due to a very special day celebrating Martin Luther King uh, on Monday. I know, Marco, that you recently participated in a very special event celebrating MLK. Uh, I think it was yesterday, right? Yesterday morning. Yeah, there was a 52nd annual Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Brotherhood Breakfast, supported and sponsored by the YMCA and the LA Kings. And uh, it was amazing just to see Dr. King's legacy and celebrating the work that he did and celebrating the work in the community. And one thing that stuck out to me in this whole breakfast is that one of the speakers was Dr. Shirley Weber, Secretary of State. She'd said something, she said, we, we lost an extraordinary person in Dr. Martin Luther King. And, and our job is not to look for that extraordinary person. Our job is to right now look for many ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So she had a call to action. And I was wow. so inspired. I was like, oh, man, this is it. You know, so that it was beautiful. That is really awesome. And what a great segue to an extraordinary guest that Absolutely. we have today, right? Yeah, today we're joined by an amazing physician, an avid sports fan, Dr. Daniel Diaz. And uh, I've known Dr. Diaz since he was a medical student in the Latino Medical Student Association at Western. And I'll tell you the truth, my barometer for leadership just went crazy when I first met him. I'm all, I need to work with this guy for the rest of my life. And sure enough, he went to medical school, he went to residency. Wow. And when we had the opportunity to talk to him about coming to Altamed and working here, for me, it was a no brainer. And now he's here with us and wanted to say, Dr. Diaz, thank you so much. And I'm just going to echo what Dr. Angulo said. He came with like big ideas and pushing things forward. What you said, Marco, is perfect because he is like, comes off ordinary, down to earth, but doing extraordinary things with big visions, but also knows how to get it done. Rolls up his yeah. sleeves, 
we'll figure it out. And I'm very honored and very thankful I get to work with you, Dr. Diaz, and everything I've learned from you. Well, I just want to say it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. It's a privilege being on this podcast and really working with you day in and day out. Privilege is ours. Dr. Diaz earned his Bachelor's of Science in Kinesiology from California State University, Northridge, and started his path to medicine at Western University of Health Sciences. He went on to Loma Linda University to complete his family medicine residency. His strong background in osteopathic manipulative medicine led to an entrance in a primary care sports medicine fellowship, which he completed at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. While in medical school, he became involved with the Latino Medical Student Association, more broadly known as LMSA, where he served as a Southern Chief Executive Officer for the Western Region, as well as a member of the LMSA National Board of Directors. It was with this passion for his community and the LMSA connections he made along the way that ultimately led him to Altamed, where he is a primary care sports medicine physician and faculty member of the Family Medicine Residency. He enjoys spending his free time with his family. His new schedule allows him to spend the weekends trying to keep up with his five-year-old and one-year-old sons and watching his favorite sports teams play, Go Lakers! Without further ado, please join us in welcoming the one, the only, our very own Dr. Daniel Diaz. Welcome, Dr. Diaz. Thank you so much. And I want to echo everything you said about just this team and working with all of you, Dr. Roger, Marco Angulo. It's been a pleasure since the day I arrived. It's like a dream job. You get to work with your friends and really, I can't imagine working anywhere else after joining our group like this. So thank you for welcoming me into this family and privilege is all mine. Absolutely, let's go. We're ready yeah. to do this. No, no, I, thank you so much. And thank you for being such an amazing doctor. How has your upbringing and background shaped your desire to pursue medicine? Yeah, that is very interesting. I actually never even thought about medicine as a career. You know, growing up, my mom always put going into college and higher education, but medicine just never appealed to me or I just, maybe I never saw it. I always thought I was smart enough to do whatever I want, right? But I didn't know any doctors. I didn't know any Latino doctors for sure. Um, in fact, I don't even know if I knew anyone when I went to college. So being college was like, you made it, you did it. And really just thanks to my mom, she kind of put that into the forefront. And they really showed me, both my mom and dad showed me about working hard and really that commitment and passion goes a long way. So I, I went to California San Luis Obispo and I was studying mechanical engineering and I was a very excited young man going out to college, right? First one in my family. And I did not do very well. There were so many things that I needed to do to be able to succeed. And I just wasn't ready for them. And aside from all the other things that I was going through with just trying to identify myself as a person, I didn't do well in my classes. I failed the class, then I repeated it and then I did well. And then I failed another class, I repeated it and I did well. And it was an ongoing cycle of yeah. me learning how to be a little bit more of an adult, but also be a college student. And so with these failures and learning and redoing it, it just wasn't sustainable for me. And so eventually I was let go from the school that I was going to. So it was devastating and very challenging for me to come home knowing that I didn't do well, that I failed. And at that time, that's what I thought it was. I failed my family, I failed myself. And what am I going to do next? So that was very challenging. And then, you know, over time I was able to get on my feet. I worked a, a number of different jobs and eventually kind of got back on track and I was able to kind of get to where I am now. Wow. 
Dr. Diaz, was it difficult for you to ask for help at that time? Like kind of going through that? I can only imagine, you know, I share a very similar path of mm -hmm. yours. Having my first year, I did terrible and end up leaving and then just absolutely feeling like, like a failure, exactly what you said, which was really difficult. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it was just really difficult to ask for help. I didn't know how to ask. For I just wanted to ask you, was that something that, you know, as you're going through it? Yeah, as I was going through the classes and the emotions during that time, I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know who to ask for help. Classmates, mentors, advisors, um, you know, my parents had never been through something like that. I didn't know any family members that I could reach out to. And I was in a new city, new environment with people that I had just met and became eventually close friends with, but I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know who to reach out to. And I felt trapped. I felt alone at that time. Thank you, Daniel, for sharing that. And yes. Roger, I know we've all had similar stories. I took a two, three year break from school. What was it that got you to overcome that quote unquote failure? And I say yeah. quote unquote, because I think if you hadn't gone through that, you probably wouldn't be who you are today. So it's probably made you stronger. What made you overcome and continue and not completely feel like you were failing? Yeah. Throughout the process, although I came back home thinking I could succeed, I knew that I could do it. And I don't know what kept me going. It Maybe it was the belief that my, specifically my mom, but my parents had that I could do it and I could do anything. And so when someone believes in you, it just pushes you forward. I remember having an injury. I tore my ACL. I was 22 or 23 at the time. And I tore my ACL, which is the ligament to your knees and you need surgery. And typically the rehab to get back to being fully active and playing sports is about a year. At that time, I went through the process. I had my surgery and I went through the rehab and going through that rehab and seeing what the physical therapists do actually really brought excitement. I, I wanted to do what they were doing. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. I think I can do that. And so at that time I was very driven into becoming a physical therapist. So when I re-enrolled, I went to a community college. I went to Glendale community college I signed up for my classes. And and I signed up for so many classes that I had to get special permission to go over the amount of units. I think the cap was 17 units and I would sign up for 21 or 22. And so I was very blessed to be able to complete it all in basically one year. One of the things that I learned was it wasn't about how smart I was. It was how dedicated I can be. And are we able to bounce back up on our feet and keep pushing and keep going? I went now to Cal State Northridge. And the reason I chose that university was because they had the physical therapy program that I wanted to go to. That was my dream school. So I transferred, I did pretty well with my classes there. I got very involved with other programs. And then I was there for about two, two and a half years. And I was able to complete my bachelor's degree. At the very end, the last six months, I'd taken that human physiology class and I just it sparked an interest. And I thought, I really like this physiology stuff. There's anatomy stuff. So I spoke to my advisor and I said, I want to go to medical school. And it was just kind of out of, the <laughs> and I still remember a conversation with um, my now wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. And I told her, I said, I'm going to go to medical school. And she didn't know how to react. She told me later that she thought I was joking and kind of wanted to laugh, but she wasn't sure. And sure enough, I was very serious and I changed career paths and I signed up to school that I wanted to go to with for Western university. They had this osteopathic approach to healing. And I applied, I took my MCAT and I was very fortunate to be able to do it at such a fast pace and kind of get it to the place I wanted to go to. 
I mean, you, you say it's a fast pace, although I think what it took to get there, right? I mean, the maturity you were and, and the time that you had, I think that really reflected. So even though it was fast, it was because you're so mature and you had done so many things to prepare for that. So that's an amazing story. Yeah, absolutely. So if I really think about it, it probably took me 15 years to graduate from uh, Fournier University. Yeah, but it sounds like you had the right attitude and you didn't let life circumstances or whatever get in your way. You were just like, okay, now I'm going to apply myself to this and I'm going to keep going. So I think the maturity that Roger's talking about was very much there. And your life experiences probably helped a lot for you to be able to get that done so quickly towards the end. So I know you mentioned how you shared with your wife about becoming a doctor and how nobody else had really gone to college. Mm -hmm. But how did you bring your family along to this challenge that you were taking on in the last like six months of your college degree? <laughs> You're like, I'm going to go continue to be a doctor. How was that for you? Well, I mentioned before, I'm just very fortunate with the support around family. One of the challenges that I see some of us having, I said, I was a little bit older when I went through this, so I didn't experience this that much and I knew kind of how to say no, but you know, we were very tied with our family. Every weekend was a quinceanera or a wedding and everybody would be there or they have just a barbecue because it's a Saturday. We're not celebrating anything particular. It's just a Sunday and we're going to get together. And so that dynamic of always being around family was very important. So now having to not be there all of the time was a little difficult, but you know, I did have that support where it's okay. You know, you're going to go to school. You don't have to worry about coming down this weekend. But I did understand that if I was younger, I think it'd be very difficult for me to be able to do that because a lot of my aunts, uncles, cousins, they, they didn't go to college and they didn't go to university, much less medical school. But like I said, I had that support, especially for my mom. And I'll tell you a story about my dad. He's always been very supportive, but he's a little bit more of a realist, right? Get a job, you save money, you buy a house and kind of rinse and repeat work save money. And so I told him, I remember the time I told him about going to medical school and he says, I mean, well, that's great. When are you going to start working and making a paycheck? You know, he was proud of me because I got into medical school, but then he, he wondered how long is it going to take? He had no idea. And I gave him the plan and he never questioned it. He was very supportive, but that was the initial thought process of my dad. And, you know, I could see that happen all the time with family members that may just not understand and can be a challenge for a lot of the students that are in that situation. Sounds like my family as well. I wanted to follow up a little bit, not necessarily to dwell on the challenges that you had, but kind of going back, I know for a fact, there are a lot of audience members who listen to our podcast who are kind of struggling in their classes themselves and maybe need to take some time off or have to do what we did, which is leave the school. I wanted to ask you, how did you talk to your family about that? Just that process of, you know, that you had to leave. Because for me, when I left the college, that was it. That was successful. And they would go brag to all the other family members that I had got into college. But then when I came home, man, having that conversation with my family was really difficult. And I wanted to ask you how that went for you. At that time, I don't know if I was honest with them or myself about yeah. my passion or my pursuit or what I wanted to do. So when I came home, I actually just said, I don't know if college is right for me. I'm going to take a break and maybe I go back. So I kind of hit it from them and myself at that time because I was just so embarrassed. Not addressing it was easier at that time. So I don't know if I truly ever addressed it. And I just, it kept weighing on me because I wasn't 100% honest with my family and even myself. I would probably say that it was very difficult up until the point that I finally went back to school. And that was a whole 10 years of kind of having that weight. Yeah, you found your purpose. 
you know? Yeah. And not only that, I can't get over it. You applied to one medical school? <laughs> oh, did he? What's that? Yeah, you applied to one, one medical, medical school. school. I didn't know that. That's what I got right now. Is that right or no? Wait, what? Well, I so I applied to five. I was very naive. I was so I was in such a fast pace. Oh I was at such a fast pace that it was very difficult to reach out and meet somebody and talk to somebody. So I said, I think my grades are up to par. I think my MCAT score is is probably okay enough. So I'm gonna apply to the five schools. And I actually delayed one of my interviews because I want to go to Western and that interview was later and I didn't have the money to pay a deposit to put two schools if I got accepted. So I even delayed one of my interviews so that I could get my Western one first. And if I got accepted, then that was it. Thinking back, I can't believe how, how crazy that sounds to me now. That's confidence right there. That's confidence. <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. Yes, can you talk a little bit also about your medical school experience and you're a doctor of osteopathic medicine? And maybe talk a little bit about that, but also, you know, your passion for sports and being a sports medicine mm -hmm. physician as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, my involvement with LMSA was very natural. I, you know, as a child, you grew up and you're surrounded with family, friends. And, and I think I mentioned this earlier that you really don't understand the different cultures that are out there until you start kind of coming out of the nest, right? And so it wasn't until I got to college and then even more of a medical school you start realizing that, that people are different. And that also happened at Western. I remember I was so excited to, to start my medical school career. And I looked at the clubs that I was going to join and I saw that they had this Latino medical student association. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go visit this table and I'm going to get involved and I'm going to find a nice cohort. And I go and, and I come to the LMSA booth, very eager and excited. And I didn't see one, one Latino board member in, in this group. And they were all very passionate about the things that they were doing. So they serving the community, um, but I didn't see one Latino. And in our class, our specific year, there were three Latinos out of the class of 200. Wow. Um, and so that was even more eye opening. And I said, we got to change this. Wow. We got to change this. It's just, how can this be? The school is in Pomona, which is predominantly Latino or Latinx uh, community. And I thought we got 10 weeks. And over time, it's definitely improved. And I like to say I had a small part to play in it. I had the university doing uh, a number of things, but yeah, that, that was my first impression when I got to the school and wanted to join LMSA. Wow, 6% is not enough, huh, Marco? I keep hearing those words from Dr. What? Galvez and... What is, what is three, three divided by 200? I don't know. It's like what point? <laughs> it's very something. small. 1.5. Very, very small. Oh my God. That's, oh, wow. I can't, yeah. wow. It's amazing. And then in the sports, if I can, Dr. Easy, we talk a little bit about how you became a sports medicine doctor. I felt that I always wanted to do sports medicine. I just didn't know what that was, right? I, I injured my knee and I went back to wanting to do physical therapy. So when I changed career path to do medicine, I felt that there was going to be something missing from what I really wanted to do. You know, I found a new passion in medicine, but I always wanted to tie in this rehab or musculoskeletal side. So then I found this specialty called sports medicine and it's a fellowship. You can't go straight into sports medicine. You have to complete a residency. It could be family medicine or pediatrics, internal medicine, and you do your fellowship in sports medicine. And so. Even when I was applying to family medicine residencies, I always had this sports medicine 
concept in the back of my mind and how is this residency going to help me become a sports medicine fellow? When you think of sports medicine, you kind of think of it as concierge for certain people who have a certain income level. Yeah. And the idea that you're bringing that to Ultimate and that it's more than just sports medicine. Can you talk a little bit more about that? The idea of a sports medicine doctor at an FQHC. What does sports medicine have to do with health equity and serving the underserved? The way I like to explain it is we're kind of like musculoskeletal experts. We don't do surgery, but we can help diagnose and give you a right treatment plan to help you in your everyday life. Yes. And so according to the American Academy of Founding Position, 70% of people in the United States will develop back pain at some point in their life. Yes. Each year, up to 45% of adults will suffer from low back pain. And the patients that have low back pain, they're more likely to see their family physician than any other specialty, whether that's orthopedics, physical therapist, chiropractor. When it comes to our population, we do a lot more manual jobs that are going to require a little bit of help to get them either back to taking care of their family and their loved ones or getting them back to work. And that is really the key and how we really tailored what sports medicine is for our community. I'll give you a, a few examples. One of them is I have a patient that comes in and she has elbow pain and I try to figure out what, what was the reason? Why was she having the pain? So the diagnosis was very simple, but we had to try to identify what was causing it. And so she's a street vendor and she uses her hands to flip hot dogs mm. all the time. And that's really what's causing it. Wow. And you know, she did ultimately a steroid injection and within a week or two, she just felt amazing. She was able to go back to work and it really wasn't injury. And what I loved about this specific story is these are the same vendors that work around the commerce clinic area and it's where I go have luck sometimes. And so these same patients that I take care of in the clinic, I see them in their everyday lives. We go across the street or down a couple of blocks and we still have more conversation. And so really the beauty of working in a community center like Ultimed, where you're seeing the patients in the same community that we grew up in and that really warmed my heart when we're able to see the things that we do. Yeah, you're living the dream. <laughs> I love that you were able to combine so many of your passions into this role and like all your ex life experiences have uniquely brought you here and joined all of these different pieces of you together in such a beautiful, almost poetic way. You brought something to Altamed that one, we didn't know was missing, but two, expanding access for all of our patients, yeah. right? Without them yes. having to be referred to a specialist and your program is growing because of that impact, but just that person that doesn't have to get on another bus or have to call another office and figure out their schedule to get out and work, like you're able to just address that right there with them. This is why I love what we were sharing in the beginning about extraordinary things that seem ordinary. We didn't even know it was missing your life, but we could do this and just mm -hmm. the impact it has on our patients. Mm -hmm. They call that job crafting. <laughs> crafting his <laughs> ideal dream job. Yes. Right? Yeah. And the support that I've had with this group here, as well as everyone else at Altman Institute, has really allowed us to, to be able to customize this job and really build and expand sports medicine. We've created a new job title at Altman specifically yes. for sports medicine. And we're working on creating this pipeline for sports medicine. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of pipelines and all the great things that you're creating, I know you have exciting news. Tell us about fellowships here at Alphamed. Yes, absolutely. 
So with the big demand and the big need, we need to find mission aligned physicians that are going to want to serve our patients in our community. And what better way than create our own pipeline? We have a residency program and we have now applied for a sports medicine fellowship an ACG may accredited sports medicine fellowship. So that's a big deal. Y'all. Yes. Thank you. We submitted the application not too long ago and we're waiting to hear back. Hopefully in a few short months that we're able to, again, hit the ground running and start training some of these providers that want to work with our patients on how to deliver that wow. care and how to elevate the care that we serve in our community because they deserve it. They deserve it. So keeping our fingers crossed that we're going to hear back soon with positive news. If there's somebody out there listening that is interested in being the first ultimate sports medicine fellow, who should they contact Dr. Diaz? Reach out to you. Absolutely. You can reach out to me directly. We'll be sure to include Dr. Diaz's contact info for anybody listening. And what a great opportunity. This is Sophia Santos, popping in with a quick editor's note. We are happy to announce that the Sports Medicine Fellowship has officially been approved by the ACGME, Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education. Keep an eye out for more information regarding the application process. Interested applicants can reach out to Dr. Diaz at smfellowship at ultimate.org. For more information. That's a huge accomplishment. And how long yeah. did you, you've been here for how long? I graduated two and a half years ago. Two and a half years ago. That's you got crazy. all these sports medicine clinics going up and out to bed. <laughs> you got a sports medicine fellowship. You teach at the residency. I mean, that's, you're living the dream. Thank you for doing what you do. Yeah. And I know that in this whole process, since you've gotten here and creating this program and hopefully creating this fellowship soon. You're always looking at applicants. You're always looking for that candidate to serve our FQHC. Can you tell, for those who are interested, what are you looking for? What guidance can you give them in searching for those fellowships? Yeah, when it comes to looking for a fellow, there's a lot of different things that you can do to set yourself apart. And for me, it really goes back to wanting to serve our community. And so what we're going to look for, because it's part of our mission statement, is Someone who's committed to the specialty yes. and then someone who's going to be committed to our patient. And how do you show commitment to the specialty? There's a number of different ways. There's scholarly activity or research. I know some of these are required within a residency program, but if you focus it on musculoskeletal sports medicine, you can always do an elective rotation. It doesn't have to be with us. It could be with anyone who does sports medicine because it shows that there's that commitment or the curiosity or that wanting to learn more. Extracurricular activities in general are going to be very beneficial in sports medicine, particularly it's are you doing the extra quality to do sports physicals or going to games or a marathon. And sometimes it's just as simple as reaching out to your local schools, organizations like even AYSO or anywhere in the community, just to volunteer time. And then one of the, the last ones is networking, being around the sports medicine world. There's conferences that you can meet other residents or fellows or attendings that are in the sports medicine world. And that'll really help you quite a bit. I have a, another question. If I can just add, you're starting a sports medicine fellowship, but you're also a faculty member in our family medicine residency program. This year, we are really excited to graduate our first class of family medicine residents. And as a faculty member for those residents and other yeah. residents who are graduating very soon. I wanted to ask, what advice do you give them when it comes to thinking about their first job? You know, there's so many things to think about money, of course, right? Your salary, bonuses, 
the type of patients you want to serve, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest piece of advice is be honest with yourself about what you want out of your job. It could be the settings, the type of patients, the community. It could be private practice or salary, and that's okay. But you just have to be honest with yourself about what your goals are and what you want to accomplish. And realize that in every step of your medical education, your career, as you advance further and further, you have more options. As a medical school, it's like, please take me, please take me, please take me. And then in residency, residencies are trying to attract you to their program. And so it's a little bit of both, but ultimately it's the residency programs that are attracting you and wanting you to come to train with them. Then when it comes to a job, it's even more, everyone says, please, we need you. We need you to come and join us. Um, and so just understanding that at that point, you have a little bit more flexibility on the type of job that you're going to want and look for. Although you should always approach a job as this may be the first and last job that I ever have, or this may be the last contract I'm ever going to sign, know that it's okay to take a leap of faith because this is not a three-year or a five-year commitment. Ultimately, if it's not the right place in one or two years or in three years, you can make a change. You learn from this experience and really customize the next opportunity that you're looking for. And so we really come at this from, I need to find the very, that perfect job, that first job that's going to be perfect. And it may not be, and you just have to find the best one that's going to fit your, your ultimate goals. It's a, it's a buyer's market now for physicians. I mean, you have so many choices and sometimes it can come between one organization that you're so passionate about, has the community you want to work with, but another place that's giving you like 30 more thousand dollars. And I know you talked a little bit about that, but you know, it does matter. Money matters. I mean, I think for a lot of us who didn't come from backgrounds where we made a lot of money, it's amazing when you see these numbers thrown at you. How do you balance that in your passion for wanting to serve your community? But then the reality is that there are these places that are offering so much salary. Absolutely. One of the things that I want to make clear is we shouldn't get paid less because we want to serve our community, right? The ultimate goal is to be able to work where you want to work and get paid the same. When it comes down to finding a job, you're going to end up having maybe just one or two offers, or maybe you went on more interviews and you have two or three offers to compare it to. And at the end of the day, there's a dollar value that's assigned to it. If the benefits and the bonuses and everything gets the same, the salary is $20,000 or $30,000 of a difference. That's a very tough situation, especially like I said, if you're coming from an upbringing that that makes a huge difference that maybe some of the salary of some of our family members growing up. And so it's a very big difference. I would look at the reason that the salaries may be different. Perhaps it's more work, more responsibility. You'll be seeing either more patients or the type of patients. At the end of the day, I would recommend looking at your satisfaction. Cause when it comes down to it, 20 or 30,000 is a lot of money. But at the expense of me not being happy, for me, it's not worth it. You know, I completely agree, Daniel, on that. And it's definitely about well-being. And if you're in a place where you're supported, you're nurtured, you're growing, the organization wants you to grow, you really have to look at all those aspects to it. So 100%. We normally end our podcast with a question for our listeners, many of who are on their path and joining us on the front lines. Thinking back, Daniel, to your journey in becoming a doctor, what advice would you give others whether they're still taking their pre-med classes, studying for the MCAT, or trying to get through med school or residency? The advice that I would give is not succeeding 
is not the same as failing. There's many times I've come out short of my goal, but I've always come out better than I started. Perhaps I didn't succeed my first time going to college or in a project that I was working on or getting a position that I wanted, but I didn't fail. I figured out how to either have a different approach or how to overcome it and knowing that I'm going to find another way and only I can decide if I failed when I'm going to give up. But not succeeding is not failing and just keep pushing forward. I love this. Yo. I want to thank our very special guest, Dr. Daniel Diaz. Thank you for listening to another episode of Health Equity from the Frontlines, brought to you by the Ultimate Institute for Health Equity. On behalf of our co-hosts, Dr. Marco Angulo and Tatiana Alvarez, this is Dr. Roger Liu reminding everyone, if you ever feel discouraged on your path, to remember these words. Not succeeding is not the same as failing. Stay safe and keep on fighting. We'll see you on the front lines. The Ultimate Institute for Health Equity develops innovative solutions to eliminate unfair and unjust health disparities. Our researchers, grants, and medical education teams use the best evidence to ensure our patients and communities live healthier lives. Health equity means we remove obstacles to health such as poverty, discrimination, and their consequences, including powerlessness and lack of access to good jobs with fair pay, quality education, and housing, safe environments, and health. Thank you for supporting us and please visit us at ultimate.org.